quick note before beginning with the entire text. Today's passage of Scripture contains a portion that is frequently used by the general population. Well, it would seem that way, but not actually, not quite. There is in this phrase used to describe being disappointed, most often said in a relatively trivial fashion. There was much weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Some people who use this phrase have no idea where the phrase comes from, and others believe it comes from the Bible. That second group is almost right. Nowhere in the Bible is the exact phrase weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Instead, in the Bible, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, elsewhere, depending on the translation of the Bible you are using, you may also find wailing and gnashing of teeth. And apparently, at some point in the past, people began adding extra emphasis by combining the two together and the idiom, the saying, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth was born. Its use, like I mentioned earlier, is typically to reflect an over-the-top reaction to a seemingly trivial disappointment. A child crying over being out of his or her favorite cereal in the morning might be one example. But when Jesus said weeping and gnashing of teeth, it was anything but trivial or the description of an over-the-top reaction. And therefore, let us look at what Jesus said that led up to this most grave description of the fate of a wedding guest. Our passage begins, and again, Jesus spoke to them in parables. This is the third and last parable in this string of parables. In this parable, Jesus openly makes reference to the kingdom of heaven. In the previous two parables, Jesus refers to the vineyard and the master of the vineyard. And we can understand the parable and how Jesus is speaking of heaven and of God the Father. But Jesus does not verbally make the connection. Now, in this parable that we study today, Jesus says plainly, The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. It is almost as if the first two parables were intended to address those who were more aware of the nuances of speech. In fact, they were intended to address those who were more aware of the nuances of speech. In doing so, the audience, those that are gathered around, they're not going to necessarily make the connection immediately. But those that the parable is aimed towards, the most educated people of day, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they got it. And when they got it and they reacted, then the crowd around them would understand and see how the Pharisees and the chief priests were being taken to task. But now... In contrast, this third parable of the season was directed towards everybody who could hear him. 
The crowd had gathered. They have heard Jesus give the chief priests and the Pharisees a good raking over the verbal coals. Then Jesus basically shifts and says to the crowd, You too need to pay attention. You will not get off easily either. The kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. Well, so far, so good. What could go wrong with a wedding feast? The king throws the wedding feast for his son. And the guest list is created. And it might be said it's a high-end type guest list. This is the king after all. If we were to compare it to modern high-end social events, we would say it's the A-listers who have been invited. Those that are at the top of the list. Those that you're always going to invite first. And the invitations are sent out. And as was done in the time, the invites were personally hand-carried by the king's servants. And the guests refused to come to the wedding feast. The king persists. He sends out his servants again. Tell all of the invited about all that has been done in preparation and that they need to come to the feast. Again, the guests refuse. The servants persisted in trying to get the invited guests to come, but the invited guests ignored them and went on about their regular businesses. There were even some guests who were so annoyed by the servants persistent calling them to the feast, pressing over and over again the king's invite into their hands that they abused the servants and even killed some of them. Jesus stated at the beginning of the parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a wedding feast. As a result of this, we need to listen to the parable through the interpretive lens that Jesus gave us. Coming to the wedding feast means an entering into the kingdom of heaven. The king of this story is God the Father. The guest list, the A-listers, they are the people of Israel. The going back to their regular businesses is their promoting of their own self-interest, their own personal ambitions, and the disregarding of the will of God. The servants going out over and over and over again, trying to get the people to listen to the king, are the prophets who have been, through the ages, called, been calling the people of God to obey God. And many of those prophets had been abused and some even killed. So what happens next? Because of their repeated refusal to answer the invitation, because of their promotion of themselves over the will of God, because of their abuse and even murder of the servants, the prophets. Now, see here how the guilt is building. The coming judgment is not a rash response. The coming judgment is not a you had your one chance reaction. The coming judgment is the king's, is God's reply to a steady and persistent and stubborn refusal to accept his grace. And in reply to that persistent and steady and stubborn refusal to accept his grace, Jesus said the king sent out his troops to destroy the murderers and to burn their city. 
Then the king says to the servants, the guests, the A-listers, the people who should have been here without a doubt, the people of Israel, they were not worthy. Go back out. Find new guests. The king says, go out into the streets. Go find the common and gather them in. Jesus goes on to drive the point home. The good and the bad, gather them all. We will fill the wedding hall. We will fill the kingdom of heaven with guests. Guests from every background. Guests who had lived upright lives. Guests who had lived the worst of lives. Guests who had grown up hearing about the king. Guests who had known nothing about the king. Guests who had always wished that they could be invited, but thought that it was a dream too far off. And guests who knew, or at least thought they knew, that they were so far away from the king, that they were so common, that they were so base, that they could never, under any circumstances, be invited. The king says, gather them all. Gather every single one of them that will listen, the good and the bad, side by side. Gather them into the wedding feast. Gather them into the kingdom of God. Soon the servants had filled the wedding feast. The banquet hall was full. To continue to use that modern guest list language, the wedding feast, the kingdom of heaven, was filled with the B-listers, the C-listers, the D-listers, and if such categories existed, the E through the Z-listers, they have all been invited and led into the kingdom of heaven. This should be, and is, great news for everybody. Understanding that, why does the story end with weeping and gnashing of teeth? Because when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the guest was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him, hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now why, after being invited into the kingdom, would a person be cast out, especially cast out into the outer darkness? The guests lacked the proper wedding garment. Weeping and gnashing of teeth in the outer darkness for the offense of the wrong dinner jacket? How could that be? There are a couple answers put forward by the earliest leaders of the church, and they each have a lesson to teach us. The first is from Origen. Back in the year, right about the year 230, Origen explained that this is the person who claims to come to Christian faith, but refuses to put off his or her old behavior, or in Origen's words, who even after faith continues to serve that wickedness which they had before the faith. Jesus does not condemn for the sins of our past. In the Bible, we see this principle at play when Jesus says to the one caught in sin, I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. In other words, what is past is past. Now go and live a new and better life. 
The next is from St. Gregory the Great, who explained that this is the person who believes, who does indeed have faith, but does not have love. The one who refuses Jesus' most foundational command that we love one another. Whether you see one explanation as more convincing than the other, or like myself, see them as equally valid understandings that support one another, they are both pointing to the same root issue. The person persisting in his or her old behavior and the person who refuses to love is persisting in their own agendas, their own will, their own ambition, and not that of God. They are committing the same offense as those who refuse to answer the invitation in the first place and, as a result, receiving what is basically the same penalty. What do we do with this parable today? The first is to recognize that none of us are A-listers. None of us deserve the kingdom of heaven. But at some point or another, in each of our lives, all of us B through Z-listers, all of us undeserving the good and the bad, were found out in the streets and called to the feast. And all the king, all that God expects in return is that we live lives that honor him. And the first step in that is to love one another. For Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Amen.